Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. This past week, I, I had to go out to North Carolina for a few days, and so I was out there. And then um, coming home, um, had to get on two different airplanes. The first one um, was real short. It was from like Raleigh to Charlotte, which is basically this, you know. And, and, and the second one, though, was a long flight. It was like two and a half hours or something like that from Charlotte to Little Rock. And they told us whenever we got on the plane, like, expect turbulence. This is going to be a bumpy plane ride, which is exactly what you want to hear whenever you're setting down for a two-hour plane ride, but um, they weren't lying. Like, it was. It was extremely bumpy the whole way. Um, I, I was trying to figure out, I did some internet research. Uh, you can trust anything on the internet, you know, and I was trying to figure out, like, in turbulence, how far a plane actually dropped, and I found everything from, like, 100 feet to, like, just a few inches, so I'm not really sure what um, the truth is on that, but I know that whenever you're riding in that, uh, it's uncomfortable, right? And so for the whole plane ride, they wouldn't let the stewardess get up and do their thing. We couldn't get up. It was miserable. By the time I got home, I was like sick um, until I went to bed. Like, it, it, that's no fun, right? If you've ever been on a plane dealing with, with turbulence. But as like, if you've ever been in that situation, well, you don't really have any options, do you? <laughs> like, you just got to sit there and, and endure it. And, and you just got to sit there and you just got to trust that the guy pl- flying this plane actually knows what he's doing, that he went to pilot school and like that he knows all the things. At one point he came over the intercom and he was like, uh, we're going to try to go to the highest altitude to avoid this turbulence or whatnot. Um, and we did. And then he came back over and said, this is as high as this plane will fly and uh, we still have turbulence. So basically it is what it is, you know? So that was encouraging. Um, and so anyway, like you're just there and you just got to trust don't you? You just got to trust that, that they know what they're doing. And so your full trust is in that pilot, that he's seeing things that you don't see, that he knows things that you don't know, and that he's going to get you home, right? I think that's kind of a picture of what the Christian life is. It's understanding that our seat in it all, like we understand where we sit and we're not flying this thing. We don't even know how to fly this thing called our life. And so we have dependence upon God, that he's seeing things that we're not seeing, that he knows things that we don't know, he's understanding things that we just can't understand, and so we trust him. Like, it'd be ridiculous if I were to go up and try and knock on the door and say, let me try flying this plane for a little bit, you know what I mean? And that's when things get out of whack in our life as well, is whenever we don't trust him to lead us in the right direction. And in our story this morning, that's kind of the main point, really, is that Jesus is teaching us about our great need for him, our dependence upon him. So John chapter 5, the first few verses here um, kind of set the context for us. And what you need to know, like as we start reading this story, is this story leads to Jesus' death. In fact, it says that, verse 18, John chapter 5, verse 18, says, this is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Like everything we're about to talk about, this is why the Jews began all the more trying to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God, all right? So they get extremely angry, and this is why they decide they want to kill him. The first few verses set the context for us, so let's look at that uh, together. Uh, Verse one, after this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. It doesn't really matter what the Jewish festival is. There's some debate, but it doesn't really matter to the story. The point John is saying is he's back in Jerusalem, 
And you remember what, what he was doing the last time he was in Jerusalem? It was in John chapter two, um, whenever he goes into the temple and starts driving people out of there, right? And, and if you remember in that story, um, he basically said, this temple is my father's house. And he was putting himself on equal ground with God the Father and the Jewish leaders really didn't like it then and they don't like it today whenever he does the exact same thing. And so he's in Jerusalem. He says he enters, verse two, by the sheep gate, in Jerusalem, there's a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Now, this is very specific, isn't it? It's by the Sheep Gate, it's in Jerusalem, it's a pool area, it's got five colonnades. I've got a picture of this pool here for you to take a look at, and you can actually see that they found it. They've excavated it, and they found it, and you can kind of see this big uh, pit area, that's the pool, and up towards the top, you see the five colonnades. You know, for years, they, they hadn't uncovered this, and people thought this whole story, this whole pool of Bethesda isn't even real. Like, where is it, right? And then they found it, and then skeptics had to deal with that. You know what I mean? And so they found it, and it's there. And it's, it's very, very specific. Look at verse, verse three. Within this pool area lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And so in this pool area called Bethesda, there's hundreds of people with diseases and disabilities. They're blind, they're paralyzed, and they would come lay around this pool. I want you to get that picture in your mind. Like hundreds of these disabled people laying around this pool area, and they're there because there was a, a thought, or really it's a superstition, that getting in the water of the, of the pool of Bethesda would heal them of their illness, of their disease, of their paralysis. And it really was, it was a, it was a superstition. Uh, this thing was likely fed by a natural spring. But what they thought, and it actually comes from um, some different translation uh, things, if you notice, there's no verse four here, is there? Um, now, if you have a King James Bible or a New King James Bible, you may have a verse four. A newer translation like CSB that we use or the NIV or the NLT or the ESV, something like that, you're not gonna have a verse four. Um, and the reason for that is, um, verse four isn't in the oldest and most reliable Greek manuscripts that, that they've found. Uh, that's how they get the English translations that we have. They compare all the old Greek manuscripts and they, they, they make sure that what they're giving is the most accurate picture. What verse four says, if you have it in a King James or New King James, is it, is it talks about this pool having healing power because the, angel, uh, the angel's wings would come down and kind of stir the waters up and whoever got in first would be healed. And that's what they thought. I mean, you can see that in verse seven here, that he thought if he could get in the water first, he would be healed. But really, it's a superstition. It was likely um, some kind of note in the margin that maybe one of the scribes taking those manuscripts maybe wrote and said, this is why he thought this. And, and then it got put in as verse four, but we don't have it. And that's the reason why. But really, that's not even that big of a deal. It's not crucial to the story. How the pool worked isn't the point. The point is, is how Jesus worked at the pool, right? And so that's what, what we're gonna see this morning, how Jesus worked. So. That's kind of setting the context. Now, the main meat of what we're gonna discuss is verses five through nine. So let's read that together. Verse five. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? 
Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. Let's pause there, because in this story, like, there's a lot going on here, and I told you it's kind of an uncomfortable story, but it's a beautiful picture. But as we get going, like, John zooms in on this interaction between Jesus and this disabled man. And there's a lot going on. Verse six there kind of has our basic outline for it. It says that Jesus sees him, that he knows him, and that he heals him. He sees him, he knows him, and he heals him. So let's just look at those. First, Jesus sees him. Like, there's hundreds of people around this pool, right? Hundreds of people all gathered around this pool, but John, the writer here, zooms in on this interaction between Jesus and this disabled man, this one who has been disabled for 38 years. He's paralyzed in some kind of way. His legs don't work. We know that because he's laying on a mat. And so that's who he is. But I want you to see the intentionality of Jesus here, that he goes out of his way to go talk to this guy. Like Jesus intentionally goes to this pool. He didn't have to. And then not only that, he walks up directly to this man. And so like understand this, this scene, right? He's been coming to this pool for years. Maybe his whole life, we're not really sure, but he's been coming to this pool for years and he's constantly trying to get in the water whenever it gets stirred up, but he can't. He constantly gets cut off. And so you have to imagine his deep disappointment and his frustration. He's doing everything he knows to do but he just can't seem to get there. And he feels like not a person in the world cares for him, right? He feels like he's just been cut off from all of society, nobody cares about him, and then in this moment, Jesus comes straight to him. Like think about what that meant to this man, right? Think about that. John says that Jesus saw him. And sometimes that's all we want, isn't it? Like if we're struggling or we're hurting or we're in pain in some kind of way, we just want to feel seen. Like, does anybody notice what I'm going through? Does anybody see the things that I'm struggling with? And John says right here that Jesus does. In the middle of your pain, he sees you. He sees you. And maybe, maybe you identify with this guy. Like maybe life has hit hard, maybe you're struggling. And I'm not sure what you're going through this morning, but I do know this, Jesus sees you. He sees you right in the middle of whatever it is that you're going through. Even if you feel helpless and abandoned, Jesus sees you. But not only does Jesus see you, it says that he knows. Jesus knows what you're going through. Remember, whenever we started this series, we talked about John chapter one, and it's the beautiful um, Christ picture there that says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? That's Jesus. John is telling us that Jesus is God. But then he also says in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so there in John chapter 1, we see that Jesus is both fully man, but he's also fully God. He's both. And because of that, he knows everything, right? Jesus knew this man, he made him. <laughs> like he made him exactly as he is. He, he made him. He knit him together in his mother's womb. John 1, 3. All things were created through Jesus. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. See, Jesus knew his situation, 
but he also knew him, like intimately knew him. And because he knew him, he knew his pain. He knew what he was going through. This guy's been disabled for 38 years. Like, <laughs> let that sink in. 38 years, that's a long time. Jesus was probably in this moment, he was in his early 30s, so 31, 32, something like that. So longer than Jesus has been on earth, this man has struggled. And he's laying by this pool and he's just hoping, right? Just hoping that somehow, some way, he'll be able to get into that water before anybody else does and he will be healed. But he can't get there. And we don't know how long he's been trying, but he just can't seem to get there. But here's the deal, even if he got to the water, he's not gonna be healed by it. It's just superstition. Maybe it's a placebo effect. Maybe people actually felt like they were being healed in some kind of way. But the, but the point here is that the water is not gonna heal him. He needs Jesus to do that. But he's desperate for healing, isn't he? Like he comes and he lays by this pool and he's broken and he feels it and he's, he's, he's desperate to be healed. And it makes you ask the question, like how, how many other things has he tried to be healed? Like how many doctors has he visited to try and be healed? And John tells us that Jesus knew his pain. He knew his struggles and he had compassion on him. And I want you to hear that he does the same thing for you and for me. Like I know when, when life gets tough and it gets hard and it seems unbearable, you just need to know that he sees you and he knows you. Psalm 139, verse two. The psalmist says, God, you know when I sit down, when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away, you observe my travels and my rest, you are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know about it, Lord. Like he knows everything about you. Not only that, he knows your pain. Psalm 56, eight, you God yourself have recorded my wonderings. You put my tears in your bottle. Like, I don't know what that's even necessarily trying to say, but, but, the, but God cares for us so much so that he stores up our tears in some kind of way and they are in his book, Psalm 56, eight says. And so you just need to know, man, that in your pain, you can rest assured that the God of the universe sees you and he knows you. That's what John's telling us here. But then it goes further. He doesn't just see and know. He does something about it. And, and the main thing that we see here that we're really gonna spend some time is Jesus heals him. So Jesus sees him, Jesus knows him, but then Jesus heals him. And as we start talking about this, you just need to know and you need to understand that, that Jesus' miracles always point to something bigger. Like they're, they're not haphazard or just random. Like he's not just walking around being like, you get a healing. And they're always something bigger. There's, there's a message that's being portrayed. It's always a gospel truth. So a couple of examples. In the next chapter of John, Jesus feeds 5,000 people, right? But in that moment, he teaches that he is the bread of life. Sure, this lunch is gonna be good for you for this moment, but really what you need is me. That's what Jesus was teaching in that moment. John chapter nine, Jesus heals this man who is blind. And then he talks about spiritual blindness that we all have, okay? And so these miracles that we have here are always pointing us to something bigger, a gospel truth. And so keep that in mind as we talk about this conversation and this healing again. Look at verse six. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. 
But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. So here's this man. He's been laying there for 38 years, trying who knows what to be healed. Jesus says a word, and instantly it says, verse nine, he's healed. Like muscles start to grow, tendons start to go back together. Like he, he doesn't need to learn to walk. His, his, the feeling returns to his legs. He doesn't need physical therapy for months. He stands up and he walks for the first time in 38 years, maybe his first steps ever, All right? In a moment, Jesus healed him without the water, by the way. He didn't need it. Jesus is teaching him, you don't need the water, you need me. And so I want us to read that and I want us to like just get this in our mind, like don't ever grow numb to the power of Jesus. Don't ever grow numb to the power of Jesus. He is fully able to heal. He is. But that leads to a tough question. Why not the other people? Like why not the other people? Jesus walks into a crowd of hundreds of diseased and disabled people and he heals one man, just one. And then he walks away. He disappears. Anybody else have questions with that? <laughs> I do. And I don't know that I have great answers for it, honestly. It's tough. We have that question. It's the same question that we have when we're praying for God to heal our body or a loved one's body. We know he's capable. So why doesn't he heal? Like, why doesn't he? And again, I don't have easy answers for that, I, uh, but I have a few thoughts that I wanna give you. I know that God works all things together for our good. Romans eight twenty eight. He works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, right? So he, he works all things together for our good. See, sometimes I think we feel that if there's something difficult in our life, it somehow snuck past God. Like he doesn't know about it. Like he was asleep on the job or something and he did, he, he, somehow it got past him and he, he doesn't know about it. But I want you to understand, as difficult as it may be, is that he's doing a thousand things through that sickness that you probably don't even know about because God doesn't waste a thing. Like he doesn't waste anything. It's not that he wants us to suffer. It's not that he is unable to stop it. So then there must be some purpose in it, right? Like, there must be some purpose in it. And I understand, if you're struggling, man, that is probably not making it any easier to go through it, is it? But you gotta understand that there is purpose for it. And it can be hard to hold on to, or it can be hard to keep the faith up. But listen, God is in control, and he's working all things together for your good. And because of that, like, we should pray for healing, I think it's absolutely appropriate that we should pray and ask God knowing and believing and trusting that he can heal. Jesus can heal that disease. He can, 100%. Here's another example, Matthew chapter eight, verse one. When he came down from the mountain, talking about Jesus, large crowds followed him. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing. You can. It says, Jesus reached out his hand, touched him, and says, I am willing. 
be made clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. See, Jesus is both willing and he's able. If he's one or the other, it's not very helpful, is it? Like if he's willing, but he's not able. So for example, if I'm willing to give every single person in this room a million dollars, well, you need to know I'm not able to actually do that. (laughs) And that's not helpful. But what if I'm able, just not willing? Well, that's cruel. But Jesus is both willing and able. And you and I, we should pray and believe, knowing that, knowing that he is willing and he's able to heal. Listen, I I pray for specific people in this church every day who I know are facing insane health challenges. And I think it's appropriate to do so, and and if that's you, if you're facing something, I would love the honor uh, of approaching God on your behalf alongside of you as well. I'd love to pray with you through that because we do have a God who does heal. He's willing and he's able, he does heal us. And so we should, we should pray for it. But what if that healing isn't this side of heaven? You know, what if healing this side of heaven isn't in his plan? I I promise you this. If you trust in Christ for your salvation, there's a day coming when you will be fully healed. See, when we ask God to heal us, if you're a Christian, when we ask God to heal us, the answer he gives is never no. But it might be not yet. It might be. And here's what I think we see in this passage with this man specifically is that this healing is just the appetizer. It's just a foretaste of his ultimate healing power. Like the full healing of his people and all of their diseases and all of their disabilities will come at the second coming of Jesus. It's what we believe. Second Corinthians chapter five. You and I, we're getting new bodies and they're awesome. <laughs> they're not gonna know sickness. They're not gonna know death at all. We're gonna have no memory of, of those things in our new bodies. And so the question is not if he'll do it, the question is when he'll do it. And so notice, man, he he didn't heal everyone at the pool. And he may not heal our issues today, but one day you can take it to the bank that he will. And stories like this point us toward that day, the day when we are all fully healed. But the point of this story isn't that Jesus fixed his broken legs. The point of this story isn't the need for Jesus to heal his body. The point of this story is to show us the need for Jesus to heal his soul. And it explicitly says that in verse 14. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Essentially, Jesus is saying this, my aim in healing your body is to heal your soul. Like, we're not told if this man ever experienced soul healing, salvation. We're not not told if he experiences salvation or not. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Either way, the story is pointing all of us to a greater need. More than bodily healing, you and I need our soul healed. Every single one of us. We're all broken in some ways physically, but more than that, we're all broken in some ways on a soul level, and we need that healed. And Jesus asked this question. In verse six, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Like, that's a crazy question to ask a paralyzed man, right? He's been paralyzed for 38 years and Jesus asked him, do you wanna be healed? Of course he wants to be healed. What kind of question is that? 
This seems crazy. It seems ridiculous. Who wouldn't want to be healed? But I think he's getting at a couple of things here by asking that question. First, he's implying that the impossible is actually possible. That through Jesus, he can actually do it. So do you want it? He can heal. So this guy's been coming to this pool for 38 years. In one instance, Jesus heals him, proving that the impossible is actually possible. But I think the second reason and the main reason that he is asking this question, do you want to be healed, to this guy who's been broken for 38 years, is this. He's trying to tell him that healing means things are going to change. Things are going to change. You've been laying around this pool, and maybe you've gotten accustomed to that, but if I heal you, well, your life is on a different trajectory now. Your life looks different now. So if we're talking on a soul healing type of idea, like sure, people want the benefits of healing, but do they want everything that comes with the healing? <laughs> like we're told in scripture to count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus because your life is gonna be different. It's gonna be different, so do you want that? And Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? Because it's gonna change everything about he what he knows about life. Maybe he's grown accustomed to his brokenness. And I would ask the same question of us. Maybe we've grown used to our brokenness. Maybe we don't understand our need for healing. Maybe we want God to clean up the mess of our lives without actually dealing with the patterns and choices that we, get, we made to get us into the mess. And so the question then is this, do you realize your brokenness and your great need for Jesus? When he asks, do you, do you want to be healed? Do you even realize that you need to be healed? <laughs> Verse seven, the man says, sir, the, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me in the water. I have no one. Basically what he's saying in verse seven is, I need help. <laughs> I need help. And you and I have to come to that same realization that I've tried everything else, but only Jesus is gonna heal me. See, the gospel is good news, but in order for the good news to be good, it has to invade the bad news. And the bad news is, is that we're all separated from God because we have this deep sickness in our heart that's killing us. It's called sin, and it separates us from God. Outside of Christ, that disease of sin is gonna kill you. And you have to realize your deep need for healing through Jesus. And so I would just ask, like, if you don't know Jesus, how long have you set in your brokenness? And will you allow Jesus to heal you at the soul level? He's fully able, he's willing, but he's not gonna force himself on you. That's the reason he asked, do you, do you want to be healed? He's not gonna force himself on you. You have to realize your need for him and trust him with your whole life, just like the plane that I was on. Whenever it's bumpy, whenever we go through the, the brokenness and the struggles of this world, we only get through it by trusting in Jesus alone. Understanding that he knows things that we don't know. He sees things that we're not seeing. He understands things that we don't understand. See, Jesus is in the business of healing and he's willing and he's able to heal your soul. The question is, do you want to be healed? Do you wanna be healed? That's the personal question that he's asking each and every one of us this morning for the deep soul issue that every single one of us carry into this room. He's fully willing He's fully able. Do you want him to heal you? So after John zooms in 
on this conversation between this man and Jesus. Then he zooms out. And we get this picture of how people responded to what just happened, right? I want you to see it. Look at the end of verse nine. Now that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. Are you kidding me? (laughs) And he replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Verse 17, Jesus responded to them, my father is still working and I'm working also. And this is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. See, as we close out our time, I want you to see the faces of all those who stood around. John zooms out and he gives us this perspective, this this picture of what the, the Pharisees, or whenever I say Pharisees, I just want you to hear religious people. They were the religious people of the day. And we see how they responded to this miraculous thing that happened. See, I actually believe that this whole thing with this man laying on his mat, I believe the whole thing was done to teach a bigger picture to the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees. Like, I believe it's completely real. Jesus healed this man, but I think he was doing it to teach the Pharisees and the religious leaders a lesson. This guy, he represents the Jewish response to Jesus. Like after Jesus heals him, then we get to see how he responds. And it's not the way that people typically respond to being healed by Jesus. He says, he he does a couple of things. He he seems to have no gratitude for Jesus. We never once see him say, thank you, or this is amazing. He shifted the blame to Jesus. The guy who told me get up and carry my mat, he told me to do that, so it's not my fault. He didn't bother to get to know Jesus. And then the last thing we see him do is he turned Jesus over to the authorities. Like, do you see how this could be Jesus using this moment to teach the Pharisees about their great need for healing? He's trying to teach them their great need for healing, that Jesus came straight to them, the Jewish people, came straight to them and they rejected him. They turned him over to the authorities. They missed it. They missed what he was doing. So look how they respond, man. They're mad because it was the Sabbath. That's what it says, that this man was just healed from 38 years of being disabled and they are mad about what day Jesus healed him on. See, the Sabbath is a thing that God established to to allow us to rest from work. And the purpose of it is for us to understand our dependence on God. Like if you boil it all down, that's what the Sabbath is for. You and I to understand our dependence on God. But see, the Jewish leaders, the religious people of the day, they heard God say, don't work on the Sabbath. And they added all kinds of rules to it. One of which is don't carry a mat. Another is don't heal on the Sabbath. They added all of these man-made rules. Jesus didn't care about those things. In fact, I think it's nine other times in the Gospels 
Jesus does a miracle on the Sabbath, <laughs> as if to say, I don't care about your rules. You know, I don't care about your man-made rules. So this man, he's, he's healed in front of their eyes. But all they can see is their religion and their man-made rules, their legalism. And they missed it. Like they missed this moment. They're so caught up in religion that they miss God working. They miss the fact that they desperately need Jesus too. And I wonder if we do this. I wonder if we think we've got it all figured out to the point that we miss the fact that we need Jesus as well. Like we get so caught up in the culture of it all and the church game and just what we do that, that maybe we miss that we need Jesus to heal our soul. I wonder if, I wonder if we get so caught up in our ideas and our traditions that, that we can't see God working and moving around us. They missed it, and they decide to kill him instead. The very people that he came to rejected him. But what's amazing is God in his sovereignty uses that And John tells us, he says that this event led to the cross, verse 18. And it's through the cross of Jesus that ultimately brings healing. Not just to the Jews, not just to the hundreds around the pool of Bethesda, but brings ultimate healing to the world. John told us in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not die from the sickness, from the disease that we all have, but they'll have eternal life in him. In one moment on the cross, Jesus brought to us the healing that we desperately need. And maybe it's not physically in this life, but once and for all, for all of eternity, we are healed through Jesus. The question then is this, do you want to be healed? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.